Chapter 9 Choices The stars shined brightly in the night sky as Anne-Marie walked along the dirt path, her flashlight swinging back and forth, aiding the celestial light in illuminating her path. Even with a brilliant full moon and a cloudless night sky, she still put her trust in the flashlight. The last thing she needed to do was to fall and hurt herself. She shivered as the cold night's air ignored her heavy winter coat and chilled her bones. Ignoring the numbing chill and the urge to turn back, she forged onward too. Where am I going? She mumbled to herself as she watched her breath take form in the frigid air. For the first time in over an hour, Anne-Marie wondered why she was taking a walk on such a cold night instead of sitting in front of a fireplace reading a book. Stopping to catch her breath, she looked up at the sky, smiled at the stars, and remembered. She went for a walk to get away from everything and clear her mind. Everything at the compound seemed to have taken a turn for the worst, beginning with Julie's work being compromised and then with Nicole shutting everyone out and slipping into what seemed like a deep depression. Even Sean was beginning to doubt whether Matt would truly understand the ramifications of the spiritual warfare currently stirring. Anne-Nuri felt as though her role in matters wasn't as important as it had been in the past when she had first found the journals. She felt as though she were barely keeping up with the events occurring, and she didn't know what more she could contribute. Her legs started moving again, and she looked down at the path before her. How long is this path? She wondered. Maybe I should turn back. It will be another hour's walk back to the house. Everyone might start worrying about me. Without warning, the earth violently moved underneath her, tossing her like a rag doll. She feared for her life as she fell hard on the cold ground in an awkward position. After nearly a minute, the ground finally stopped shaking, leaving her a bruised mess and much confused. Her body ached and a sharp pain erupted from her back as Anne-Mary tried to move. She couldn't get up. As she stared at the moon, she began to fear that she was seriously hurt. She knew she was in trouble in her haste to go for a walk. She left all forms of electronic communication back at the house, and no one knew where she was. Being unable to move on the frigid ground was the worst thing that could happen, with her chances of freezing to death increasing with every minute. However, the night wasn't finished with her yet. She stared in amazement as the moon slowly changed colors from a brilliant white to a dark blood red. Where once everything had been illuminated by the light of the moon, now it was covered with a sickly red haze. Anne-Marie looked at her hands and saw a slight reddish tint to her skin as well. As she tried to make sense of the brief earthquake and the blood-red moon, her body cried out for attention as her muscles began to cramp from the loss of body heat. Tears flowed down her cheeks as she wondered if she was going to die alone on a dirt path in the middle of nowhere. What seemed like hours passed, yet Anne-Marie still wasn't able to move. Her meager hope of being saved diminished with each minute she went undiscovered. She watched the blood-red moon give way to the rising sun. Then she stared amazed when it started to turn black, bringing complete darkness. It wasn't like a typical solar eclipse. The sun just went dark with no hint of light. Anne-Marie tried to look at her hands in front of her face and saw nothing but darkness. God, what's going on? She screamed out loud. What's happening? As an answer to her question, she felt a hand on her shoulder and saw light coming from a man that appeared next to her. He seemed to be the only source of light around her in a world of darkness, a beacon of hope smiling at her. Time is short, Anne-Marie, she heard the man say in her head. Matthew Boucher must know what you've seen. He is ready to hear. Anne-Marie touched her head and looked at the man in disbelief. Who are you? She asked. If you must know, Gabriel. Anne-Marie jolted awake in her bedroom 
and nervously looked around before realizing where she was. It was late in the morning, and she had just experienced another one of those dreams. She lay there breathing heavily as the reality of what she had just experienced weighed on her mind. Grabbing her Bible, she opened it to several different verses and nearly dropped it after reading them. Her hands shook as she realized what was soon to come and what she had to do. She had no choice. Time was already too short. Sean closed his eyes as he tried to answer yet another question from Matt. There seemed to be no end to the questions, and Sean wondered whether he was making an impact on his host at all. This time, Matt questioned the ability to create an underground pyramid of the type mentioned in Sean's grandfather's journal. It seemed as though Matt was focusing on so many different issues than the ones that really mattered. Of course, there was the occasional question about spiritual warfare and the evidence of the existence of angels and demons, but it seemed more of a question to fill a particular gap in one of his logical thought progressions than an actual desire to know the truth. Sean was hoping the questions would lead to an opportunity to tell Matt about Julie and the problem with them being discovered, but that opening hadn't revealed itself yet. No, said Sean, there's no actual proof in the journals of how the structure was created. Dominic even Sir Fairchild understood how it was created. His findings focused on the revelations that became completely apparent during that time. In that light, I don't see how he could shift his focus to the architectural wonder he briefly described. Why is this so important, Matt? Matt clasped his hands in excitement. Don't you see? If Fairchild's descriptions are correct, then mankind possessed a level of architectural genius far beyond what we've even wildly imagined. If we can find this structure again, it would be the greatest find of the past several hundred years. It would open up a level of understanding about our past that may have been buried for who knows how long. And what about the other findings that he found? Are they as significant as the orifice they reside in? Asked Sean. Of course not, Sean, said Matt quickly. But is there any reason why we should discount it? This too gives us insight into that era, the people, their beliefs and their abilities. Isn't it good not just to look at the spiritual side of things? Sean felt as though the time he spent with Matt was slowly taking several steps back. The man was so caught up with information gathering that he failed to see the spiritual seriousness of what the journals revealed. One day, Sean would feel as though Matt was making positive strides in accepting the actual words written by his grandfather. But the next, he would move on to his next interest, totally disregarding what had been discussed the previous day. I guess it's okay to ponder such things, said Sean. But don't you think how the structure was made is not as important as what Fairchild wrote in the journals? Matt waved his hands. Yes, yes, I know. We'll get back to that at some other time. It's all very interesting and important. But today, let's continue our discussion on the underground pyramid. Sean steadied himself before responding. Okay, I think we can discount it being built on top of the ground and eventually covered by years of sediment accumulation. Matt smiled. Yes, that's. He was interrupted by the door to the room being pushed open. Matt watched as Sean's mother rudely walked into the room. Her breath was haggard as she leaned against the table to catch her breath. Sean noticed that she looked unkempt, as if she had just woken up, thrown on whatever clothes she could find, and rushed to their meeting. Mom, is everything okay? Sean asked, concerned. Mrs. Duquesne, said Matt, please have a seat. Anne-Marie lifted her hand and pointed a finger at their generous host. You're the reason. I'm here, right now, woo. 
Anne-Marie looked for a chair and managed to sit with a loud thud. She moved her Bible from underneath her arm to her lap and immediately opened it. Mom, what's going on? Matt and I are in a meeting and we... Quiet, Sean. God needs to talk to Matt, said Anne-Marie. Shocked at her brashness, the two men looked at each other and waited for her to continue. While Anne-Marie regained her breath, Matt was beginning to wonder if his fears were coming true. Was this group of individuals more interested in pushing their beliefs than seeking the truth? I have several verses for you, Matt. I mean, God has shown me several verses that you must hear. I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. It says in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32, And afterward I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. Even upon the men servants and upon the maidservants in those days will I pour out my spirit. And I will show signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered and saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the remnant of survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Now from the book of Revelation, chapter 6, verses 12 to 14. When he, the Lamb, broke open the sixth seal, I looked, and there was a great earthquake. And the sun grew black as sackcloth of hair, the moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky dropped to the earth like a fig tree, shedding its unripe fruit out of season when shaken by a strong wind. And the sky rolled up like a scroll and vanished, and every mountain and island was dislodged from its place. Anne-Marie closed her Bible and looked at Matt as she told him about the dream that had awoken her. After a few minutes, she stopped and looked at Sean. He smiled back at her, knowing all too well that his mother would never have said all of this unless she was inspired by God to do so. When she looked back at Matt, fearing what she would see, she found a man in shock staring right at her. You, you, this described the same exact dream I had last night. I told no one. No one knew. I thought it was just a dream. How? How could you have possibly known? He asked Anne-Marie. Time is short, Matt, answered Anne-Marie. A line is being drawn in the sand. It's time to either take a step of faith forward or remain where you are. There are things in motion that can't be stopped. You can stay here deliberating the truth and dwelling on the intricacies of facts. Or you can hear what God sent an angel to me to tell you. Angel? That man that shone in the darkness, his name was? Gabriel. Matt interrupted. Yes, that's what he told me. His name was Gabriel. Matt was silent for a while, considering all that he'd just heard. It was all overwhelming and fantastic. It was what he'd always wondered. Was there an unseen force working behind the scenes, helping and guiding mankind? Suddenly the words of Sir Joffrey Fairchild flooded his mind. But this time they took root and affected him deeply in a way that he had never truly understood before. All his life, he made it his goal to search for the truth in all things. And finally, unexpectedly, the truth had revealed itself to him. He turned to Sean with tears in his eyes. Is this what you wanted to show me, Sean? Sean nodded, smiling, not knowing what to say. My God, said Matt, all of this is really true. And those things out there really want us dead? Sean nodded again. Yes, and they've been at it for a very, very long time. Nicole woke when she felt something shake her bed. Wiping the crust from her eyes, she focused on someone sitting cross-legged on her bed and looking directly at her. 
Once the person came into focus, she recognized the teenage angel from long ago that looked too much like her old friend Jennifer. It's been ages since Nicole first saw the girl in Massachusetts. The girl was again dressed in a white blouse and skirt with the same iridescent glow. Nicole immediately moved to the opposite side of the bed. What did I do now? She said to the girl. The girl smiled. I'm glad you remember me. I guess you know why I'm here. Nicole thought for a while before responding. Because I'm being stupid. The girl appeared directly in front of Nicole and slapped her gently on her forehead. Yep, that's right. So, what are you gonna do about it? Nicole was already up against the wall and couldn't move away from the teenage angel. Get over it? The angel cocked her head and stared at Nicole. You're still there, you know. Against the wall, said Nicole confused. Again, a gentle slap on her forehead. No, silly. Well, yes, you're against the wall, but I'm talking about your state of mind. Oh. You know, sometimes I think you like feeling sorry for yourself, said the angel. You've grown so much since the last time we talked, but you still tend to regress. Nicole lowered her head, not wanting to respond. The teenage angel leaned closer until her forehead touched Nicole's. Running from something that's difficult doesn't make it go away. It just makes it more difficult to ignore. You have to face these things, no matter how hard it is. It's too hard, Nicole said softly. It's never easy, Nick. But acting like a baby by kicking and having a hissy fit isn't going to make anything better. It just makes you more miserable along with everyone else around you. Nicole lifted her head and looked at the girl, who moved back slightly as she waited for Nicole's response. Why do you always talk to me like that? She said as tears began to form in her eyes. You could be a bit kinder. Your words cut deep, you know. The teenage angel folded her arms. Why? You shut everyone else out and refuse to listen to anyone. I talk this way because it's the only way to get you to face your problems. You want kind words. You want someone to pamper you. Well, those days are over. You can't always pout your way through things. You need to stand up and be the woman you're destined to be. But the teenage angel interrupted her. Look, Nick, I'm not here to hold your hand and I'm not here to pump you up. I'm here to wake you up. If you think things are hard now, you have no idea how much harder it's going to be in the near future. That's the problem. Nichols screamed at the girl. Why do things have to be like this? I have no life. I have no real place to stay. I can't even talk to my friends. What kind of life is that for anyone? It sucks and I don't want it anymore. The girl stared at Nicole with no end of emotion before responding. And you want out, right? Of course, who wouldn't? What kind of life is this anyway? Nicole shouted back, her emotions bordering on hysteria. Why would God allow this to happen to us for so long? The girl ignored the ranting questions, and how would you propose getting out of such a horrible existence? Nicole looked away, not wanting to answer the question. No, seriously. The girl pursued. What changes would you make to get out of this situation? Nicole remained silent. Answer me, the teenage angel said, raising her voice. Nicole looked back at the girl, tears running down her cheeks. Anywhere but here, she mumbled pathetically. The teenage angel folded her arms across her chest and stared at Nicole. A tinge of anger was seen in her eyes before she opened her mouth. Then she spoke with such authority that the room's very foundation seemed to shake from the sound of her voice. Suicide never solves anything, Nicole. You may think you're escaping an unbearable situation, but what you're doing is placing yourself in a worse situation that's eternal, with no chance of escape. Nicole's eyes widened in shock. I never said, quiet, 
said the teenage angel. I'm no fool. I've been doing this far too long to mistake the signals you've been sending. Now, I want you to listen to me carefully. Life will always have its bumps and difficult situations, but the answer is to learn and to grow from them, not run from it. Nobody ever said that things would be easy. To tell you the truth, it's hard. It's very hard. But anything worthwhile doesn't come easy. You have to find it within yourself to face what is causing you so much pain. Cause if you don't and you fall, ending it all, you'll end up damning your soul to eternal torment for taking your life. In my opinion, an eternity of this is far worse than the aches and pains of this world. But you see, people see only what's right in front of them. They're short-sighted. And it's this short-sightedness that leads to their final mistake. Nicole couldn't face the angel and didn't say a word. Deep within, she knew it was the truth. It was just a small thought in the back of her mind that she never rejected and slowly held on to. Step by step, it migrated into her thoughts and started to grow. She always ignored it, but it was becoming more and more prevalent. However, now it was directly in the open and in full view, and it scared her. The teenage angel continued. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit that lives within you? There are people that fill themselves with so many other things that are never fulfilling. They strive for something to fill the void, but it never truly sustains them. And eventually despair, unfulfillment, or disillusionment occurs. Some even realize this void, but instead of making the right decision and asking for God to fill what they lack, they decide that this life is not worth the emptiness and take their own life. But you know the truth. You know that once you've received the Holy Spirit in your life, you belong to God and should honor Him with your body, your life. Destroying that which God has blessed you with isn't the right answer and, yes, is a sin against God. You know all this, but you've allowed your situation to blind you and grow within your spirit like a cancer. Give your burden to Him, and He will give you rest, peace, and calm your anxiety. You need to read 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 19 and 20 and Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 again. Nicole couldn't hold back the sobbing anymore. The tears flowed down her face as her body shook. The angel reached over and embraced Nicole without saying another word. I, it's so hard. I never thought I would do it, but the thoughts kept on coming back. I didn't want to listen, but after a while I, I just listened. I'm so stupid, said Nicole in between the sobs. No, you're not. Everyone entertains thoughts from time to time, depending on situations that you're going through. It's part of being human, but the difference is that you have to be diligent enough not to let those thoughts grow and fester, affecting your spirit," said the angel, still embracing Nickel. Moving back from the girl, the angel lifted Nickel's chin. You'll be fine. Things always seem harder just before they get better. Nickel gave a weak smile. Who are you? Are you my guardian angel? The teenage angel smiled. You know there will eventually come a time when you won't think or wonder about me much, but I'll always be here," said the angel as her facial expression became more serious. Now it's time for you to wake up. What? Nickel asked, confused. As far as she knew, she wasn't sleeping throughout this interaction. Wake up, said the angel. It's time to wake up. The angel glanced behind her. Don't forget what I told you. Wake up. I'm not asleep. The angel's body slowly morphed into her mother Lisa. You've been asleep too long, dear. It's time to wake up. Wake up. Nicole looked around the room quickly. She was lying on her bed looking up at her mother, and no longer in a sitting position with her guardian angel. Why? Wake up, honey. I've kept breakfast warm as long as I could. 
Nicole stared at her mother for a long time until her mind finally registered what had happened. She then nearly leaped out of the bed and hugged her mother. I love you, mommy. Lisa hugged her daughter back. It's just breakfast, she said, confused. Anne-Marie sat back in the chair and listened to the conversation between Sean and Matt. Ever since Matt's eyes had been opened, the interaction between the two seemed to have reached a new level. Matt's questions were insatiable as he revisited Fairchild's journals with an attitude of not just intellectual curiosity, but a drive to soak up every fact as indisputable truth. Sean then talked about his personal experience with the Dark Assassin and his demonic superior, controlling the body of Agent Brown. He went into great detail to let Matt understand that what he had read in the journals wasn't just a description of past events, but everyday occurrences. Sean then talked about Lisa's and Anne-Marie's experiences. After listening for quite some time, Matt held up his hand. Enough? I get it. I get it. We're screwed, he said, dejected. Anne-Marie perked up. If there was truly no hope, don't you think it would have been over thousands of years ago? But no. They may seem formidable, and with all the power, yet with all that, they still struggle against forces more powerful than them. Matt turned to Anne-Marie. You mean God? Exactly. With all we've heard about these dark forces, they pale in comparison to God, she answered. Matt rubbed his chin. Then, why doesn't God just wipe them all out and be done with it? He asked. You know, she responded. I've asked that same question so many times. It would solve so many problems we have. But to answer you, I don't know. God does things according to his plan and will. I can't begin to imagine how God thinks. I just know that however he plans, it is according to his perfect will. God says in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 through 9, that his thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither are his ways our ways. For as the heaven is higher than the earth, so are God's ways higher than our ways. Sean took this moment to reveal one more thing to Matt. We wouldn't be here today if not for God, but the ones that struggle against God are relentless. There is a good chance that very soon they will find out where we are. Eyes wide open, Matt looked at Sean. What? Yeah, said Sean. It's just a matter of time, and from what I've experienced in the past, it won't be long. Anne-Marie stood up and placed a hand on Matt's shoulder. Don't worry. You'll see who truly has the power if they're stupid enough to come here. God won't forsake us. Anne-Marie then smiled. And you'll finally get that hands-on proof you so desperately wanted. Mom, said Sean, wondering why she wanted to spook him. Coming here, Matt said slowly, demons. Oh,